0: It was a balmy September afternoon in Piscataway, New Jersey, the weather clinging to the dying embers of summer on the final day of Sky Blue FC's 2018 National Women's Soccer League season. There were, at best, just over 4,000 fans present at the diminutive Rutgers University Soccer Stadium to watch the matchup between the New Jersey Club and the Orlando Pride. To call the Blue's 2018 season dismal would be a bit of an understatement. They were on their way to joining an elite club of sorts, albeit with a bit very little fanfare, those very few professional sports teams to endure a winless season. The New Jersey club were not without talent, hardly so, especially when you consider that their squad boasts the two-time FIFA Women's Player of the Year and World Cup Superstar, Harley Lloyd. And it was Lloyd, the local hero who grew up just an hour from the club's home in Northern New Jersey, who wound up beating the odds and the pride that day it was the 74th minute and sky blue forward shea groom dribbled up the right flank before cutting inside toward goal a few more long touches found her with plenty of space to play a ball to the team's captain carly lloyd as she slashed towards the top of the penalty area and lloyd didn't take a second touch she made immediate contact with groom's pass and fired a curling strike into the near post well beyond the outstretched hands of orlando's keeper she charged her teammates arms flailing in the air with joy the crowd rejoiced, many having just received the bobblehead of the goal scorer on their way into the stadium as the team celebrated their famous captain. The team withstood an onslaught of attacks from the Pride, who, while enduring a challenging season themselves, were not lacking in star power, as forwards Alex Morgan and Sidney Leroux failed to break through the exacerbated Blues defense. And when the whistle finally blew, and the Bees marched off the field with a 1-nil victory, and the assurance of at least one win on the season. The joy of the moment was quickly overshadowed by Lloyd's post-game comments. While speaking to reporters, Lloyd finally opened up on mid-season reports originally broken by the Equalizer that detailed the poor state of affairs regarding Sky Blue FC's training and housing facilities team, owned by New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy, had generally declined to comment on the report that described the decrepit housing accommodations for players and training and playing facilities that lacked showers or even running water, despite requesting additional feedback and accountability from players and fans. And Lloyd's comments echoed the need for accountability, and while she had remained quiet on the matters throughout the course of the season much like the club had, she committed herself to working with management the League, and the newly-minted Players Association toward improving the conditions at Sky Blue. Fast forward to just a few weeks ago when, on International Women's Day, Carly Lloyd joined 23 other U.S. Women's National Team players in filing a class-action lawsuit against the Federation, seeking equitable pay and treatment, as well as punitive damages for the systemic inequality. The evolution of women's soccer in the United States has endured a similar winding and tumultuous road as the men's game, with several broken and defunct leagues left in its wake. Still, the NWSL has outlasted them all and grown into one of the top leagues in the world, as it prepares to kick off its sixth season this April. Likewise, the U.S. women's national team has become the toast of women's soccer on the international stage, consistently outperforming their male counterparts. But with substantially reduced returns. Today, we break down the development of the NWSL, the success of the U.S. women, and the challenges that stand in their way as they fight to level the playing field. Let's get started on win, lose, or draw. As the saying goes, When one door closes, another one opens. In April of 2012, Women's Professional Soccer, the top women's league in the United States, ceased operations due to internal and management issues. The United States Soccer Federation, or USSF, convened players and management of the former league as well as representatives from the W League, a pro-am league that would later fold in 2015. In this meeting, the Federation set out to form a league that would endure the challenges that shuttered its predecessors and create a lasting platform for women to play professionally. By November, the National Women's Soccer League was announced, with play to begin in April of 2013. The model was simple, reduce costs across the board by limiting the number of players and the salary cap space allotted to each team. For the first season, the inaugural eight teams would have only $200,000 to spend on their squad, with minimum salaries of $6,000 and a maximum salary of $30,000. Still, the concept of recruiting professional athletes to play for what was at the time over $5,000 below the poverty line was apparently only a little far-fetched to the league's architects. Therefore, the three national associations of the United States, Canada, and Mexico would allocate and pay the salaries of two to three players per team. This provided an immediate injection of star power into the fledgling league with the likes of Magna Pino and Christine Sinclair joining the ranks of newly minted professional soccer players. In 2017, Mexico instituted their own women's professional league and no longer allocates players to the league. But Everything kicked off in April of 2013 with eight teams and would expand to 10 teams with the addition of the Houston Dash and the Orlando Pride in subsequent years. The Pride and Dash represented a growing interest in the league on the part of Major League Soccer, whose ownership groups expanded into the women's league with partner clubs of the Houston Dynamo and Orlando City, respectively. The influx of cash from Major League Soccer and the recent shuttering of the tumultuous Boston Breakers franchise which brought the league back to nine teams, represents a change of the ties in the National Women's Soccer League. Whereas the league began with predominantly independent ownership groups, only four clubs remain that have no financial partnerships with a men's club. In the past two years, two teams have been purchased and rebranded to match partner MLS or USL clubs. The Western New York Flash became the North Carolina Courage, while FC Kansas City became the Utah Royals. The MLS or USL-backed women's clubs generally do have improved resources or access to facilities thanks to the attachment to a richer club. That said, the Washington Spirit, Seattle Reign, and Chicago Red Stars all boast dedicated ownership groups that have continued to meet the rising standards of the women's league. The money and the investment has to be there from ownership. I imagine that not every women's club is waiting for an MLS or USL team to come and buy them out. It's just not necessary. But speaking of those rising standards the NWSL has read regular efforts to increase the league's salary cap, as well as its minimum and maximum salaries year-over-year. Year. Now entering its sixth season, teams are able to pay a total of $421,000 to their players, which includes a $16,538 minimum and a $46,200 maximum salary. Likewise, the league announced in advance of the 2019 season they had substantially increased the housing accommodation cap for its teams. While the number is not disclosed, various reports position it around $58,000. Think about those numbers for a couple minutes while we take a quick break. So, you've taken the time to think about the numbers. So let me ask you a question. Do they add up? From a macro perspective, the league is certainly improving. Salary caps and league minimums are increasing. But the reality is, If even one player on an 18 to 20 person team makes the league maximum, there's barely more than just the league minimum to go around for the remaining 17 to 19 players. And that's why unpaid amateurs are an NWSL squad's secret best friend. But now consider housing. Players making the league minimum, assuming they're a single family home, operate just above the poverty line. Regular training sessions and travel for games are prohibitive to a second job, So the league assists by offering housing accommodations whether through assisting with rent out of that $58,000, or establishing host families. At Sky Blue FC, the Equalizer Exposé cited players that had to move sometimes up to five times in a season because the club failed to secure adequate housing. One former assistant coach remarked that less tenured players were living in homes with plastic bags for windows. Others commuted over 90 minutes to training facilities and games with shared and limited rental costs. These women, pursuing dreams of being a professional athlete, are often playing far from their homes, and for only six to seven months at a time, particularly when another job or career awaits them at the end of the season. These are some of the best female soccer players in the world, and one of their greatest concerns is where they might sleep at night. It was in light of the challenges facing Sky Blue FC that college players awaiting their selection from the NWSL draft expressed concerns over being selected by the New Jersey club. Haley Mace, a former UCLA Bruin and top prospect in this year's player pool, explicitly said as much, claiming she would not play for the team if drafted. And those selected by Sky Blue FC with the second overall pick, Mace now plays her trade in Sweden. Now these are isolated incidents to be sure, but Sky Blue's FC struggles to meet even the bare minimum standards are emblematic of the inequality in women's soccer and women's sports as a whole the wage disparity is massive. According to a report by the Sporting Intelligence, the combined salaries of every female player in the top seven leagues around the world, around 1,600 athletes, is roughly the same as Neymar's $43 million in earnings from PSG this past season alone. I'm sure there are those of you out there listening to this episode and thinking, yeah, it sucks the women are paid less than the men. But... It's just simple dollars and cents. The men make more than the women because they generate more revenue. Well, beyond finding perhaps the simplest and most inaccurate way to describe the wage gap, you'd also be substantially incorrect. Beyond the massive commercial value offered up by women's sports, the recent lawsuit filed by the United States Women's National Team incorporates a portion of their original 2016 equal pay complaint that went unanswered. It cites... Minutes from a USSF meeting that listed and projected greater revenue for the women's national team and the men's national team in both 2016 and 17. All the while the women were being paid less than half of what the men were being paid. All the while the women were winning the 2015 World Cup while the men were getting knocked out or missing it entirely. When the United States clashed with Japan in the 2011 Women's World Cup Final, the result was a grueling affair. Tied after 90 minutes, Abby Wambach had pushed the United States to head in extra time, only for Japan to answer in the dying minutes. The game advanced to penalties, where Japan would eventually claim their first World Cup trophy. But four years later, when the teams met for a rematch in Germany, with the World Cup once again on the line, the script of the game would be very different. Because on July 5th, 2015, the goals came in bunches. Having played just over two minutes of the match, the U.S. women were lined up for a corner. Megan Rapinoe fired a low ball into the box, seemingly toward a group of Japanese defenders. Nobody in the way. But Carly Lloyd had timed the run perfectly. Here she came, flying into the box at just the right moment, the defenders completely unaware that she had started the run from yards away. Lloyd popped in front of the ball and struck it with the outside of her left foot, no second touch required. The ball ricocheted to the left and well beyond the Japanese keeper, putting the United States ahead in brilliant and rapid fashion. And it was Lloyd who would go on to score two more goals that day, cementing her tremendous tournament with a hat trick and a World Cup victory over Japan, 5-2. The World Cup champion athletes returned to the United States with a World Cup trophy in their hands and an extra $2 million in their pockets. But a year prior, when the U.S. men had been sent packing by Belgium and wound up finishing 11th in the tournament, they left Germany with an extra $9 million. The 2018 Men's World Cup champions, France, received a $38 million payday. The difference is about less than six cents on the dollar. Both the women and the men also received bonuses from the U.S. Soccer Federation for their efforts as well. $5 $5 million for the men in their defeat in the round of 16, and just under $2 million for winning the whole thing for the women. Bring on the lawsuit. The lawsuit levied against the United States Soccer Federation cites an ongoing pattern of discrimination and inequity of pay, despite better performance on and off the field. The lawsuit states that in 2016, U.S. Soccer had initially budgeted a loss of $430,000 for the two senior national team programs. But later revised that to a 17.7 million dollars due to the world cup victory and subsequent increased popularity in the sport that followed it and an in-depth look at the federation's public financial statements would show that the women continued to outgenerate the men in 2017 and 2018 yet were compensated very differently from a micro perspective the men's under 20 coach earns more than the world cup winning manager of the US women Jill Ellis. If you're willing to explain away the money problem with, quote, market realities, just as the Federation has tried to do, then fine. You can continue to ignore the opportunity for sponsorship that we talked about and the market value of women's sports if the right investment is given to it. Consider then the 17 charter flights that the men's national team were given versus the zero given to the women. The women have played 21% of their matches on artificial turf as opposed to the men's singular match. The Federation has even footed the bill on eight separate occasions to replace artificial turf at venues the men have played on, compared to once for the women. And it's not the first time the women have to fight back either. After winning their second World Cup in 1999, the team was forced to strike to receive better contracts. After winning their third World Cup in 2015, members of the team filed a complaint with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, citing the wage gap and inequity. Nothing ever came of it. It's of course worth noting that the Federation has invested several million dollars into the National Women's Soccer League. It was among the first things that they mentioned when the 2016 EOC complaint was filed. It is, of course, not enough. A level playing field is the only time it will be. These are some of the world's greatest athletes, yet they continue to fight for equal pay, proper playing surfaces, and even places to sleep at night. The only way to help them in their fight is to continue our support. Watch the NWSL online or when it's on Lifetime. Even better, buy tickets to your local club's next match. You won't regret watching some of the greatest women's soccer players in the world score some goals. As always, this episode was researched, written, and produced by me, Chris Singelman. We can always be reached via email at the Show at gmail.com, and we certainly love to hear from you. Or you can find us on social media at the Show, on Twitter and Facebook. If you like what you're hearing so far, please subscribe so that you never miss a moment of the Win, Lose, or Draw show. Of course, if you really like what you're hearing, definitely drop us a rating. More reviews help us reach a wider audience and grow the game. Look out in the next couple weeks for our listener survey of the first season. Thanks for listening, and see you next time on Win, Lose, or Draw.